Well, good morning. You can be seated here on campus at home. You do whatever you want. We don't. We won't know, so we can't care. Uh, so, <laughs> welcome, welcome to double service. Uh, this is really exciting. We we uh, we've been thinking about this for a long time, wondering about it. Uh, we know that. Um, as our church grows, that this was probably something we were going to have to do anyway. And then 15% has given us a chance to give it a try today. And um, it's been awesome. Thank you for the ministry teams, um, worship team, kidsmen team, uh, um, tech team, producer team, all staff, all the people who are making this happen. Uh, we're really, really grateful to you and for you. And... It's only when I speak. Everybody, nobody else gets feedback. I just, I know I'm loud. It's, I'm, I'm a challenge, but I know this team has got it, got me, got me covered. So we've been in Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, Hebrews 11 uh, is really helping us to understand what faith really is and break it down in a, a few different ways. Um, faith, as we've been talking about, is eyesight into the unseen. And I got a great message from Ben. Um, he was, he emailed me, and he said, I really like that, that analogy you used about how. Uh, you know, faith is like eyesight into the things you can't see in the same way that your actual eyes uh, give you sight to see the actual physical objects and universe around you. And I said, and he said, and then he took it another step further. So 10 points to Ben because he was like, it's like if you could go another step with this, you could say the Holy Spirit is our optometrist who brings our vision into focus for the unseen things in the spiritual. I'm like, oh, Oh, I don't have time for that one today, but I had to share it with you because it's so great. That was a great one. The Holy Spirit is our optometrist and also true. So in the creation story, we have faith to understand that God created all of this out of nothing and in his own image. Uh, in Enoch's life, we, have the, we found out that we have the faith to seek God and believe that we can know him. And that faith pleases God and he will reward the one who truly searches for him. So let's pick up the verse in between there. If, you were, if you're like that and you notice that I skipped a verse in Hebrews 11 in those two messages, let's go and pick up the verse that we missed from Hebrews 11. You can go to the YouVersion app and go to more and then events. You can follow along that way as well. <clears throat> Hebrews 11, 1, 2, and 4. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Verse 4, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. So this is an interesting story. If you, if you, I've been around the church for a while. The, these names probably sound familiar to you. But I want to I go back to the original story. And let's read in Genesis chapter 4. So right to the beginning of your Bible. Genesis chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 to 8. And find out what it is that the author of Hebrews is referring to when he talks about Abel's faith. So Genesis 4 verses 1 to 8 says this. Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said... With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. 
So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Pretty famous story in Genesis chapter 4, the story of the first murder, brother to brother. And when we go back to how Hebrews is referring to this story, it says that Abel brought a better offering to God than Cain did. Better in the Greek here means uh, more appropriate or more acceptable. So Cain, uh, Cain's offering was less appropriate and less acceptable. Why is that? What made Abel's so much better? There, there's a lot of speculation around this if you study this passage of scripture. Um, Especially around the idea that perhaps it's because Abel brought a, an animal sacrifice or a blood sacrifice and Cain brought an offering that was grain and that because he was working the fields and so there was something better about that blood sacrifice. But scripture does not explicitly say this one way or the other to say what was wrong with Cain's offerings. But there are some clues in here that are going to help us. It says that Cain, over the course of time, brought some fruits of the soil. Over the course of time, brought some fruits of the soil. Where Abel, it says, brought fat portions from the firstborn of the flock. Do you hear the difference there? So Abel brought his first and best, that's clear, as in firstborn. And Cain brought something less than that. We don't know what it means over the course of, in the course of time. But Cain brought something probably less than that. That's a good assumption. It says in Genesis 4, 7... Uh, God said to Cain, sin is crouching at your door and desires to have you. And Abel, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says Abel was, in, in contrast to that, Abel was commended as righteous. So for Cain, sin is crouching at your door and desires to have you, but for Abel, he was commended as righteous. So, so even more importantly, something is happening in the heart that was likely already there when these offerings were brought, and it caused Cain's offering to not be accepted. Here, listen to what John, the, the Apostle John says in his first letter, 1 John uh, 3.12. He said this, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. There's something going on that we can't see and the Bible doesn't explicitly name, but you can sort of infer what is happening in, not, not so much in the offering in, on the exterior, but on the offering on the interior of these brothers. But more importantly than even those things that we sort of can infer from these scriptures together, the argument is made here in Hebrews 11 that uh, the argument is made for why Abel was considered righteous. And that's the important thing for us this morning. It was by his faith. The reason he was considered righteous isn't because of necessarily the what that was brought. It was by the faith that he brought it with. By faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. That's Hebrews 11. By faith. By faith. So it wasn't about the what he brought. It was about the why and the how. 
It's about the why and the how. So it isn't an issue of what was laid on the altar. It was an issue of why it was laid there and how it was offered to God. Abel brought something that was costly, and his faith that God would provide for him was credited to him as righteousness, Hebrews says. But Cain brought something else, less costly, less sacrificial, less honoring in some way. We don't know exactly what it was because we can't see the hearts of men. God knew the why and the how, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't an act of faith in some way. It was something else. It was maybe just an act. Maybe he was going through the motions, doing what he thought he was supposed to do. I want to just say to my on-campus friends here, this 15% capacity, I just want to say I love you, and I'm glad you're here, and I'm going to forget to look at you because I'm so used to looking at the camera, okay? So off-campus, this is mostly for you, and also if there are people sitting behind the camera, I'm not staring at you guys, okay? I'm just staring ahead of you just a little bit. I just realized that. I'm like, oh yeah, there's other people. Hey, hey, what's up, you guys? Hey, what's up? I'll get used to it. I just have, we just keep pivoting, guys. It's cool. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get back into it. And Matt has a nice big sign that says, Tracy, look here. Can you guys see it? Can you guys in the room see it? Yeah, that's so I'm just doing what I'm told, mostly. If you're, uh, if you're raising sheep and goats, clearly not something that I know much about, but I've read a little bit about. If you're raising sheep and goats like Abel was, you're doing it to survive. It's not for kicks and giggles. Like, you're doing it to survive. You need the food. You need the clothing. You need that fat. I don't know what they do with it. They probably, like, do they burn it for light and oil and things? Like, yeah, right. So you have to work hard. And the, the hard work that you're doing is for survival. It is necessary for your life. It's a big deal that your flocks thrive, that they have um, lambs and kids, right? That they, that they do that kind of thing. And so when those first lambs and kids are born, that, that first fruit, that first that, that those, those first births in your flock, it is no small thing to offer them to God as a sacrifice in worship because you're saying, I trust that you're going to provide me with the rest. I trust that my family's going to be okay. And I'm also acknowledging in this that these, all of these gifts came from you anyway. All of these things were created by you anyway, right, right from the verse 3 that we, we talked about a couple weeks ago. We, we, we in, our, in our humanness, we, we so, it's, it's so natural to want to make sure that, you know, these first ones aren't going to be the only ones. So, so we wait. Like, I'm going to keep these ones, but God, I promise the next ones are yours, for sure. For sure the next ones are yours. And then we'll bring an offering. We'll think about bringing an offering anyway. That's just basic human survival thinking. And I'm not faulting the thinking so much as I'm pointing out that that's not the first fruits. And there's something about that that lacks faith. There's something about that that says, God, I, 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 I don't really trust you or I don't really believe that I'm stewarding the things or managing the things in my life because for you because they all came from you anyway. And I'm not going to keep them when I die. So there's something in that thinking, in that heart space that is, some, is a little bit broken uh, if, if you can't bring those first fruits. But Abel brought some of the firstborn from his flock. And implicit in that offering is trust in God for the very survival of his family and himself. And like anything we bring to God that's first, it's, it's an act of faith and an act of gratitude and it's worship and it pleased God. And it's very clear here, it pleased God. Now listen, God did not reject Cain. God didn't hate Cain and love Abel. 
And it didn't matter what Abel did. He's never going to be able to please the father. That's not what's happening here. God didn't reject Cain. In fact, he tried. Did you hear what God said to him? Cain, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Be careful. He didn't say anything to Abel. He's still trying to draw Cain back. He didn't reject Cain himself. He rejected Cain's offering because of how it was offered. And unfortunately, Cain took that rejection of his offering, and he didn't receive it as correction from the Lord. He didn't, he didn't hear what God was saying to him and say, something's going on here, and I'm going down a path I shouldn't go down. He didn't receive it as correction. Instead, he allowed what was going on in his heart to corrupt him further and lead him to the first murder. And scripture says that Abel still speaks even though he's dead. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Abel still speaks even though he is dead. It's like uh, Abel's faith is still speaking to us. Even violent death, even the circumstances with which his life was ended can't stop his faith. The kind of faith that Abel demonstrated, like that has stretched now over however many thousands of years since Abel was alive. It's that kind of faith that was so beautiful and, and was counted to him as righteousness and was so important for us to recognize and see in the offering that he brought that it says his story is still speaking to us thousands of years later to draw us to the same conclusion. Abel had the faith to sacrifice what was costly to him and to do it as an act of worship. And so if Abel, that, that first hero of the faith that's listed in Hebrews 11, I know, not the first one we've talked about because I went out of order, I know. But you can go back, you'll see, you'll see the order there. The first hero of faith listed in Hebrews 11, if Abel had faith, which again, remember, faith simply being confidence in what we can't see in the natural. Confidence in what we can't see in the natural. Confidence, assurance about the unseen thing. If Abel had faith to sacrifice his first and best, I mean, we have to ask the question, don't we? Then what is this scripture calling us to? What is your first and your best? What is the most costly thing that you have? What is it? Can you name it? Can you think of it? What is the thing that's the most important to you? Maybe some things have gone through your mind. Maybe your family, hopefully your family. Yeah. <laughs> um, some things that you just really value, that you've worked hard for, whatever it is. But I would suggest to you this morning that the most costly thing to you is yourself. Because none of that other stuff would exist without you first. The most costly thing, the most precious thing you actually have is yourself, your own life. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do you hear, Do you hear the correlation in there? About the living sacrifice, the thing that's the most costly yourself, being the thing that you sacrifice first. This is what worship should look like, Romans says. But before Paul wrote that to uh, the church in Rome, Matthew's gospel captures what Jesus said about the same thing, Matthew 16. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward. There's that reward we talked about last week. Reward each person according to what they have done. Did you hear that? Did you hear it? To follow Christ, you have to lose your life. Sounds a lot like Romans 12, being a living sacrifice. And obviously not literally, but spiritually to lose your life. You have to give up control of your life to surrender it as an act of humility. To the true Lord of everything. I wrote like that. To the true Lord of everything as opposed to us being the Lord of our own life. Surrendering ourselves to the true Lord of not just us, but everything. And I can tell you that it is so difficult to pry your fingers open. Um, I don't care if you call yourself a control freak or not. We all are in some way, shape, or form. We've all got our degrees of it maybe. But we all like to know that we're in control. Wasn't that one of the hardest things about the last year and a half? And we didn't have control of some of the things that we were allowed to do or say or wear or go or not go. More like not go, not say, whatever, you know. And, and one of the hardest things was realizing that we were never in control in the first place. But to have somebody take control from us, it's a really, really difficult thing. It can be so difficult, like beyond the external circumstances of our lives, which by the way will change and shift like sand in our, throughout our lifetimes. But more importantly than that, to pry those fingers open and decide that God truly does know best, that he loves you most, that he cares about all of it, that he can be trusted. Like that's a big, big deal. Because like, you can maybe do it in one area of your life and then you realize, oh, you're grabbing for control in another area and it just happens like day by day by day, this revelation. But I want to tell you something. For all of the times that I've let go of control of something in my life or no, noticed it and like pried my fingers open or had somebody help me do it or had circumstances that made it so that it was impossible to do anything else, I will tell you something about doing that and offering myself as a living sacrifice every part of my life before God. It is a huge, huge relief. When you stop trying to control your whole life, when you stop trying to have all of the answers that you think you need, trying to be the person that you think you're supposed to be, trying to live up to somebody's standard other than God's, it is such a relief to find your identity and your hope and your joy in the God of the universe who knows you best and sees you entirely and knows everything about you and still loves you. There's nothing to hide from him. It is a massive relief. And... Oh, I'm sorry to do it again, but there's more. There's just, there's, there's, wait, there's more. And it says that there is a reward for this act of faith. Jesus himself says it in the Gospel of Matthew. There's a reward for this act of faith. And we know that rewards, we sometimes think reward, we think money. But I'm telling you, like, let's put that out of your mind. In so many ways in life, my experience tells me, probably your experience tells you that the more you trust God, the more you receive from him the rewards, the things in your life that you actually need, the things that actually give you joy, that give you purpose, that give you life, all of those things. There's definitely rewards in this life. I hope you've experienced some. I'll tell you if you haven't, they are there for you if you, if you trust him, if you surrender. But uh, for absolute certain, no matter what happens in this life, there are definitely rewards for the next. There is eternity in the presence of Christ for you 
when he makes your heart right and you are in a relationship with the Father. Oh, so good. Abel's faith made him a target of anger and hatred and jealousy. But his faith still speaks to us today. And his sacrifice that he brought in faith credit, was credited him with righteousness, which is the requisite for spending eternity with God. And if he was here today, I don't want to speak for him, but I'm going to. But I would say if he was here today, he would choose it all again. Being in the presence of God, as he is, because he was credited as righteous in his life by his faith, he would choose it again. It was worth it. No matter what the outcome was on earth, it was absolutely worth it. We have faith. Here's, here's, where, we, here's where we are. I just want to recap. Uh, from these last three weeks, we have faith, which is, again, certainty about what we can't see with our physical eyes, to believe that God created the world. We have faith to believe from last week in the story of Enoch. We, we have faith to believe that if we seek God, we can know him and walk with him and please him and be rewarded by him so much in that one. And we have faith to bring our best to him, Abel shows us. we got to have faith to sacrifice. So here's what it can look like to lose your life so that you can find it. Versus gaining the world but losing your soul. Here's what it looks like in the heart of Abel versus the heart of Cain. From our perspective here, obviously I don't know what was in either one of their hearts. I only know the scriptural text. But let's extrapolate it for ourselves so that we can apply it into our own faith journey. If there is something that you want for your life, think about something you really want for your life. A good thing. Like, I mean, think about a good thing. Maybe you want a, a spouse or a child or a job or an acceptance to a program or a house, and I bless you in KW looking for a house. Um, you, 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 if you want something that's good, like there's something in your life, there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, there's a lot of blessing that is attached to it. You do have a choice. The heart of Abel offers that desire to God, sacrifices it to God, trusts him with the outcome, chooses contentedness in every situation. Um, I heard that, Pastor Ethan, you were talking to the youth about this on Friday night, Philippians 4, right? Choosing contentedness in every situation. That's an act of faith and sacrifice. And, and worshiping him before the fulfillment of that want in your life. And trusting him with the outcome. That's faith to sacrifice. That's the heart of Abel. The heart of Cain instead works to control everything. And works to control every outcome. And to create what it wants on its own. Maybe, maybe you believe the worst about him about God. Like maybe you believe he doesn't actually love you. He doesn't see you. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't want you to have nice things. If the only thing you don't want to do, this was a classic thing when I was growing up. If the only thing you don't want to do is go to Africa, that's where he's going to send you. That's how God works. How many have grown? How many heard that or felt that? Grow? Yes, right. Yeah. Maybe that's that's and I'm going to suggest to you that that's a bit of the heart of Cain, controlling the outcome instead of surrendering our lives. We don't really trust that he's going to come through. Or maybe in your life there's some kind of um, tragedy or sickness, death in the family, someone close to you, a cancer diagnosis, a chronic illness. I mean, there are, there are so many things that can go wrong in this life that can be absolutely devastating in this life. 
I don't know any, I mean, looking around the room, I can imagine off campus, I, I don't know anybody who hasn't been touched with that kind of deep grief. And the heart of Abel searches for God in the grief and pours out lament to God and finds him in the pain and the darkness. And even though all the why questions will probably never be answered, there's that lament of the spirit. You read it all. Oh, the scriptures are full of that lament that says, God, you see my, where are you? That, that deep crying out to God and, and searching for him in the pain. All of that is totally great. That's the heart of Abel. But the heart of Cain instead blames God, refuses to go to him in the pain, assumes that God is out to get you, can't listen for his voice, can't see him, chooses not to. Or maybe for you, if in some way you've been told no to a prayer you've prayed or a habit that you need to give up and God's saying, yeah, no, you can't do that anymore. You can't, it's not good for you. It's destroying, you can't, no. You need to, you need to say no. Or some action that's just not measuring up to what you've been called to in Christ, some sin in your life and God is saying no to you about, and you know it. The heart of Abel, as hard as it can be, repents and asks for change. We've talked about this before, but repentance being turning and going another direction, not just feeling sorry for or even asking forgiveness for, though that's part of it, that repentance and sorrow. But repentance really says, I'm also going to change directions and go the right way. That's the heart of Abel. But the heart of Cain, like exactly what happened in Genesis 4, refuses to be corrected. God tried. He spoke to what was going on in his heart. It stayed full of pride and anger and bitterness and became hard towards what God was saying and, and, and uh, angry and bitter and hard towards others. So the question for us this morning is, do you have the heart of Abel? The faith to sacrifice yourself, your will, your pride, your rights, your dreams, all of it in exchange for what is best, which is a life lived in Christ. And I'm going to finish this morning on something a little bit weird, but you may know this about me if you've been around for a while. I love the book of Hebrews. Like, I love it. I love how difficult it is. I love, like, sussing through it. I like trying to figure it out. I like the Old Testament references. I, I like studying it. So I have to, I'm going to end on something a little strange, but I, I want you to stick with me for a minute. Hebrews 12, 23 and B and 24 say, You have come to God. This is just a chapter later, by the way. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I know you're like, what? See, this is why I don't read scripture by myself. No, it's okay. I know there's a, there's a lot going on here. The, 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 the author of Hebrews like, used words in really incredible ways. It's a bit of a tough passage, I understand. But here's the gist of it. Here's what I want you to hear. We aren't coming to a God who can't be touched or can't be known, who you can't get close to. Here's what Hebrews 12 says. We are coming to a God who is able to make you perfect in his sight. Colossians says, without blemish and free from accusation. That's the God we are coming to. And while the blood of Abel who died an innocent victim is a powerful example of faith that speaks to us thousands of years later, 
The blood of Abel actually points us to another innocent victim, Jesus, whose blood shed on the cross won for you the life that you truly, truly, actually need. Forgiven, free, surrendered to the one who created you and who knows you. And so the question is, see, Hebrews is great. Isn't that great? Will you have the heart of Cain and refuse to give God your best in exchange for his life for you? Or will you have the heart of Abel, the faith to sacrifice and let your obedience point people to the one who speaks a better word to Jesus? Your surrendered life will point people to Jesus. Will you exchange the heart of Cain for the heart of Abel? Reminded me of um, Ezekiel 36, where uh, the, the, prophet is, says, the, the prophet says that God is speaking and saying, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I don't know about you friends, but I need to be new, made new every single day. Every single day. So in this place, let's stand and let's offer this prayer to him if you'll join me. Lord, we hear, we hear uh, the cry of the faith of Abel through generation after generation after generation. Thousands of years later, we, we stand here and we're, we're talking about it. We're thinking about it. So thank you for his example. And we pray, Holy Spirit, really a very simple prayer for our lives this morning. Would you point out in us any part that has the heart of Cain that is tight-fisted to control all of the things in our lives. We want to we figure out the outcomes ourselves. We, we don't want to trust you or anyone else. We don't listen uh, when, to, the, to the no that we're being told. We, we don't take our pain and our grief to you. We just let it make us angry. And all of the th other things we see in Scripture, would you point out any part of that in our hearts that would be there. We invite you to do that work. Bring it to our minds now. We submit it and surrender it and ask Lord Jesus for forgiveness and for the wisdom to know how to walk in repentance in another direction. And the direction we want to walk in is that heart of Abel that has faith to sacrifice. Faith to see that the things that we're trying to hold on to are not the things we want for our lives anyway. What we really want is you. And then whatever else that brings to us. Your kingdom and your righteousness first. And then everything else added as you see fit. As you know is good. And we, we want to uh, proclaim you to be in first place in our lives. You, we, you already are above all things. But we, we want to uh, bring ourselves into submission to that. Show us, Lord, as we go through this week. As we have conversations. As we, see, as we are in your word every day. In, and as we, we hear your voice, let us be listening for any part of our lives that you want us to su surrender and sacrifice and have the faith to do it. We pray it for ourselves and for one another so that we could be a church who honors you and seeks you first. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen.